This is Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast of the slightly unusual. Here's your host, Peter Anthony Holder. Hello and welcome to Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast that will take you off the beaten path, introducing you to people who have slightly quirky hobbies or businesses. There is the old phrase, often a bridesmaid, never a bride. There really isn't any truth to that. In fact, that phrase was actually created for a print ad campaign back in 1925. And no, it wasn't for dresses or diamonds. It was a campaign to fight halitosis for Listerine. Bet Listerine couldn't get away with that campaign today. But here I am at the beginning of this episode, already getting off topic. The topic at hand is bridesmaid, specifically that bridesmaid dress. When you agree to stand up for and next to your bestie, one doesn't immediately think of the ramifications that this entails. You're probably going to be standing up all day in shoes that hurt, but that will be the least of your problems. There will be that dress, that expensive dress, that dress that most women will wear only once. I say most women, because most women aren't Rebecca Whitlinger. Rebecca stood up for her friend back in 1988 in a gold lame dress that she wasn't particularly fond of. Yet she has worn that dress ever since around the world and she has the pictures to prove it. In fact, the first words out of her mouth when I spoke to her were... Hey, good morning, good afternoon, and I want you to know I'm wearing the dress as we speak. So, let's go back to 1988. This wasn't Rebecca's first rodeo as a bridesmaid. No, but it clearly turned out to be the one that was the most memorable. It was a very close friend who said, would you want to be in my wedding? And we're very close to this day. And I said, yes, I did not like the dress, but you don't serve as a bridesmaid just because you're getting an outfit you want. You do it for your friend. And it was gold lame and gold sequins, as you correctly stated. And the sequins really are gold and glowy. But it was perfect for 19 it was an evening wedding. After the nuptials, Rebecca thought, well, I'm done with this dress. But whenever she opened her closet, there it was, taunting her. So... When did she dare to put it back on? Say about six months. I was reminded of it every time I opened my closet. And I thought, hey, what can I do to wear it again? And I just decided, well, I'll just wear it at a construction site that was near my apartment at the time. And I thought it would be funny. And I sent people pictures. And then it just sort of snowballed. Rebecca and that dress have traveled a lot further than a nearby construction site. Together they have been from Milan to Paris. Rebecca has worn it skiing in the Alps, hiking in Machu Picchu, touring caves in Iceland, and riding a camel in Morocco. So, 
Is there anything she won't do in that dress? I won't do anything illegal, immoral, or obscene, but that leaves me plenty of future photo opportunities. I'm going to back to France, and we might go to Spain. So the dress wants to go to Spain for sure, as well as I do. And uh, there's nothing I wouldn't do as long as it's, you know, family friendly, put it that way. And I'm ready for all adventures, all countries, all states. The wearing of the dress started out as a lark. But when exactly did it become a mission? Oh, gosh, I would probably say 30 years ago because people said, oh, are you going to bring the dress to my event? Like, well, yes, I'll put it on, take the picture and take it off because usually I'm more fashionably clad, I guess you could say. And it just got noticed and I won a local contest and people started inviting me to do things. And it just seemed like, well, this is fun. And it's a hobby that only takes one minute. Put the dress on, take it off. I always have, obviously, an outfit underneath. And then I'm good to go. And go she has, not just around the world, but also in her hometown of Pittsburgh. She and the dress have been to Pittsburgh Steelers games, to Pittsburgh Ballet Theater and Symphony Orchestra performances, and she has been featured in People magazine not once, but twice. Back in 1997, where she's seen in a picture in the dress while jogging on a treadmill, and most recently again this past September. And after all these years, the dress still fits. Oh, it may have been to the altar in the 80s, but it's never been altered. It's exactly the same, and the bride chose very durable and expensive fabric that made it last. And I thank her for that because the dresses were custom made, and, and certainly it speaks to their high quality. And I've subjected this dress to a lot, believe me. It's still glowing. Back in 1999, Rebecca even wrote a book called Always a Bridesmaid, 89 Ways to Recycle That Bridesmaid Dress. When did she realize that she and the dress were popular enough to write a book about? I think after being on Oprah, that really sealed the deal. It gave me a lot of credibility, and then that's when People Magazine came out, and I did the Today Show, because I think it's something people can relate to. Women have these dresses. I mean, I've been a bridesmaid eight times. You look at them languishing in the closet. You think, what can I do? And even men that might not be fashion conscious are aware that these gowns are hanging in their wife or girlfriend's closet. And I think it's just something relatable that I happen to stumble upon. Rebecca has been a bridesmaid on multiple occasions, but unlike any of those weddings, and like most other bridesmaids, those other dresses were one and done. Oh, she's found other uses. I'll tell you, I took one of my dresses, not from that wedding, but from another one. I reupholstered my piano bench. <laughs> I haven't really used them so much like I have done the gold dress because the gold dress is compelling. I don't know. It must be the sequins or something. What has your friend said about the longevity and the success of the dress that was initially worn for her wedding? 
I don't think she ever thought that it would make national media, and certainly I didn't either. But when we get together, we don't talk about that. I mean, that was so long ago. We're always catching up on more timely things. But she just laughed. Nobody would envision that this is what it is. But that's what happened. It's quirky, but harmless. And that's what I like about it. One of my favorite pictures involving Rebecca and the dress was from 2012 in London when she was standing next to a palace guard. I mean, I got his permission first. He looked very serious, but he seemed to be willing to stand motionless next to me, which, you know, made him a good foil. And uh, that was great. I mean, I had fun in London in the dress. And then I stepped like maybe a foot away, peeled the dress off. He was probably relieved to know that I was fully clothed underneath it. And then I walked on and probably had a good lunch. What is your favorite escapade or picture with the dress? I think I would have to say Morocco riding a camel because I was scared. Those camels are mean and I don't think they appreciated the gold sequins either. There's a reason why there's like a rope or like a little tie around their mouth. But it was cool to be in the Sahara Desert riding the camel. I thought it was going to throw me, but I want to be buried in the dress, so if something happened, I guess I'd be ready to go, literally. (laughs) Although she hasn't done it recently, through the years, Rebecca has raised a lot of money for charity through events involving the dress, and she even gave some of the proceeds of her book to charity. However, in this post-pandemic world, she is willing to start up her philanthropy again. I work at Cancer Bridges in Pittsburgh, and we have all free support services for those affected by cancer. And if I can think of another way to create an event with some buzz, I'm definitely going to do it. We did $100,000 on four years of events, but that was a while ago. I'm ready to relaunch it because I love my charity and I believe in it. It's just, we're so busy now, but I'll entertain all offers, that's for sure. So, here's a chicken and egg question. Which came first? Did Rebecca always travel? and the dress just came along? Or did Rebecca start traveling because she wanted pictures taken with her in the dress around the world? I always wanted to travel, but that's a good question. I think I'd probably, I wouldn't say I travel because of the dress. I travel because one of my best friends is a travel agent and another is a travel writer. But they understand that if I'm going somewhere, the dress is accompanying me. But people around Pittsburgh also know that if there's a photo opportunity, I'm coming with the dress. No one even asks anymore. They just expect. So with all that she has done with this dress since 1988, what does Rebecca have next up her gold lame sleeve? Well, I'll tell you what's next in the works. People ask me how I can still fit in the dress after 35 years, and I definitely have fitness and diet tips, and I'm planning on sharing them. Nothing's earth-shattering. I just want to say what works for me because people do ask about that, and I have a few answers. That is for sure. So, a dress that was made to look great, but not better than the bride going up the aisle, has had a life of its own for over 35 years. And since Rebecca wants to be buried in the dress, it will go on long after that standard line, till death do us part. Business beyond bizarre. Here's a puzzling situation for you, literally. If you're into jigsaw puzzles and you do a lot of them, what do you do with them 
after they're completed? That's a question that Ron Dagenfelder of Boston, New York had. He's a puzzle fan. I used to do puzzles maybe growing up as a teenager, but as soon as I got my driver's license, I kind of stopped. But then during the pandemic, puzzling was a safe, fun activity you can do indoors. And so I did probably about 60 of them during the pandemic. Ah, once again, the pandemic rears its ugly head. So, you see the problem here. Well... Ron had a solution. I'm the type of person that does the puzzle just once, and I know I can donate them, but I was just keeping them in the garage in bins, and we had this chicken coop I converted into the puzzle barn. We were using it for storage and just got this crazy idea. I remember back in the day, blockbuster video stores where you rent videos or movies, And also a combination of like a vegetable stand where people just stop by, pull in, always open. And so I put the two ideas together and created this puzzle barn. Well, this brings up yet another chicken or egg question, especially since we're talking about a chicken coop. Which came first? The idea for the puzzle barn, which brought about the eviction of the chickens, or the departure of the chickens, which brought about the question of... What to do with the coop? The second option. Uh, Unfortunately, our chickens were getting killed by predators. So like foxes and weasels. And so we had like 12 or 13 chickens. And when we got down to six, we knew we had an issue. So we gave the rest of the chickens to a relative. And then the building sat there for probably maybe a year. I was storing like the rototiller, the lawnmower, and then just came up with this idea of displaying the puzzles and having people being able to rent them. Ron has hundreds of puzzles at the Puzzle Barn and several more in storage. But he's always looking for new puzzles and people are willing to donate them to his budding enterprise. People can donate puzzles and when they donate a puzzle, they get two free rentals. The Puzzle Barn has been open for two years. I have had people drop off hundreds and hundreds of puzzles. I could easily expand the Puzzle Barn. I would say it's about maybe a six foot by eight foot little building. I think I have roughly close to 200 puzzles in the Puzzle Barn right now with more puzzles in storage. How many puzzles would you say you have in storage? I would say probably another 100 to 200 puzzles. I mean, it's awesome that people are donating puzzles. It keeps the inventory fresh. There's always new puzzles that people can look at and rent. It makes it fun. And speaking of fun... What kind of puzzles does Ron enjoy the most? I personally like the White Mountain brand of puzzle. They are a larger piece. Usually it's a thousand piece puzzles. They also offer like 550, 550 pieces. It's just a nice quality puzzle. And there's also another brand called Ravensburger. They are very good. I personally like pop culture. So I like puzzles that involve like TV shows or different um, references with anything to do with pop culture. And the popular ones that are rented out, is it the Um, same as your tastes or 
other tastes? <laughs> well, uh, I promote the White Mountain a lot. So a lot of people have, if they have not discovered it before the Puzzle Barn, they now uh, know about White Mountain. But also there's a brand of puzzle, the Buffalo Puzzles. And they are actually a company right here in Buffalo, New York, uh, which is about a half hour away from here. And they are very popular. There's an artist named Amy Stewart. It seems her designs are very popular. There's also a lady that used to paint pictures, a local artist named Thelma Winter. There's a few companies that have taken her pictures or her paintings and made them into puzzles. And those are fun because it's a local reference. I did a puzzle of one of her paintings. And then I actually, just about two miles away from the puzzle barn, is the actual house that was the painting based off. So that was fun to do the puzzle and then to go take a picture of the actual house. Customers can rent the puzzles for either $1 or $2, depending on whether the puzzle in question contains less than 1,000 pieces or more. There are no late fees for returning the puzzle, but common courtesy dictates that you shouldn't have it for more than a month. Now, back in the day, when video stores dotted the landscape, the most heinous transgression was when someone didn't rewind the tape. But when it comes to puzzles, the worst thing you can discover is that there's a piece missing. Yeah, that's the risk of this puzzle barn. Many people, you know, they'll leave a note saying this was missing one piece. I will put a little sticker on the box announcing that, and then that just warns the next person. A lot of these puzzles, you know, I even like to go to thrift stores finding cool puzzles. So there's always a risk. You know, missing a piece, some people don't mind it. Other people, it's almost like a forbidden puzzle. I just keep on thinking of of like life. Life is not perfect. So there's always going to be, you know, a missing piece. It's almost fitting that the Puzzle Barn is located in Boston, New York, which is within the shadow of Buffalo, New York. That's because it's this neck of the woods that produces about 40% of the puzzles that are sold in North America. A fact that even Ron didn't know. Oh, wow. That is very interesting. I did not know that fact. I just know that if you go into the stores like Walmart or Target, there's the Buffalo brand. Uh, it's called Buffalo Games. I should really hook up with them. Well, I was about to say, uh, you should find some sort of deal with them because you're the one of the greatest advertisements that they could possibly have. True, true. Although they might not like my model or my philosophy, because another reason why I started this is, like many things, puzzles are getting expensive. A White Mountain puzzle full price is now about $19. And so I thought to myself, if I pay $19 and 10 other people pay $19, now we have 10 puzzles that really, what do you do with them? So you buy a different puzzle, I'll buy a different puzzle, we both do them, and then we kind of trade or rent them. So that was another idea. So I'm not sure. Maybe the puzzle companies are not a fan of the puzzle barn economically. Just how big can the puzzle barn get? Can they go in the direction of Blockbuster? You know, before they went bust. And franchise this idea? 
That is a running joke with a lot of my customers. Everyone thinks this is such a great idea. And I always joke that I would love to have a franchise. I'm in the south towns of Western New York, and it would be awesome if someone in the north towns, like north of Buffalo, would do a puzzle barn. I also was recently featured in People Magazine under their smile section, where things are supposed to make you smile. I told the reporter that it would be awesome if this took off and that there was a puzzle barn in every state. Well, you said north of Buffalo. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Buffalo is near the water. Isn't north of Buffalo Canada? Uh, True. Yes. Yes. Hey, (laughs) Canada could have the puzzle barns. I meant more like Lockport, Wilson, Lewiston, Tonawanda, those little towns. Wow. Ron just sounds like an Amtrak conductor announcing the next stops. Anyway, as he mentioned, he was featured in People magazine. Generally speaking, how has his press attention been? Oh, it has definitely helped. My main source of advertisement or awareness has been Facebook. And I do realize that there are many people, especially the older crowd, that are not on Facebook. So it is awesome when I can advertise or get the word out with local newspapers I was on the local TV channel. The reporter did a really good job. He loved the idea that it was a chicken coop. It definitely has helped spread the word. Ah, but you know what would be the ultimate in publicity? If one of the major jigsaw puzzle companies that are around him made a jigsaw puzzle that depicted the former chicken coop known as the Puzzle Barn. (laughs) Yeah, that would be good. Next time on Business Beyond Bazaar. We learn about a New Jersey motel that is doing its part to help the homeless. They may not leave a mint on the pillow, but they do something much, much better. And looking for that slice on a Florida beach? There's a guy out there who sells pizzas on a flat-bottom boat. It's a unique way of kneading the dough. And you can spell that any way you'd like. This has been Business Beyond Bazaar, a presentation of Flying Fish Communications and Group Fairplay.